Thanks be, Thanks to, be God. to God. Good morning, Redemption. Yeah, good morning. My name's morning. Jake. Good morning, Jake. Good morning, John. Hey, uh, we're Jake and John, and we're two of your pastors. <laughs> so uh, You didn't say good morning this, at the nine. That was actually, that felt good. Yeah, it Just, did. Yeah. It felt good. <laughs> and uh, we're kicking off Revelation today. So, yeah. Yeah, we got a packed house. Everyone's excited to hear what we have to say. Yeah. So, um, you and know. I love this artwork. Uh, this is made for me. It looks just like me. I love our Revelation artwork. So whoever made that, shout out to. I know it's one of our designers. Like that looks um, like your style or you look like a stick figure? Uh, both. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely looks like my style. And, um, and your physique. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's you. So uh, I know why you guys came. Last week, Jake preached, and he told you today was about dragons, and you were going to hear about dragons and yes. see dragons, yep. and then Jake was telling me how he wanted to dress up like a dragon. I did. And I said, Jake, you can't do that. So yeah. Jake looks the same. He's yeah. here. Yeah. The, for, the real thing, though, is that they were, we were all talking who should do this series. We should tag team it, give an overview. And they're like, well, why don't, you know, there's dragons in the book. Why don't we get the guy who's got like a bunch of tattoos all over him, who has who yes. like dragon tattoos. Um, and then the guy who likes to play Dungeons and Dragons and we'll yes. put them together and that'll be perfect. Yes. And I am the guy that doesn't play Dungeons and Dragons, just to, <laughs> just to make that clear. <laughs> okay. So, hey, we are... Uh, I can make fun of Jake for a long time, but we're going to get into Revelation. Yeah, so, hey, pray with, let's pray. Jesus, you are alive and you are seated on the throne this morning, and we are gathered as your people because we are wanting and desiring to worship you this morning, and Lord, this is a house of worship, and Lord, we are also gathered this morning because we want to hear from your word, we want to hear you speak, and so Holy Spirit, would you come, yes. fill this place? Lord, that you'd speak through Jake and I in, in this message of revelation that it would shape us today. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, we got a lot to cover, so we're going to dive right in. Revelation chapter 1, if you don't know where that is, it is the last book of the Bible, so turn to the end. Um, chapter 1, we're looking at the first several verses. I'll read and it'll be on the screen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. So before we dive into these three verses here any further. I uh, want to give you guys just kind of a layout of what Jake and I are going to be doing today, where yep. we're going. Uh, this sermon is meant to be like an overview sermon of the book of Revelation, and we want to help you know how to read Revelation, but also understand it. And yep. so uh, that's where we're going this morning, and we are really excited because Jake and I actually found something that a biblical scholar wrote on the book of Revelation he wrote a brief summary of the entire book of Revelation that I'm going to read to you right now, and yeah. it'll be on the screen. The risen Christ appears, eyes of fiery flame, with trumpet voice like mighty waves crashing against the shore, holding seven stars in his right hand. A throne in the heavenly sky appears, 
the Almighty seated on the throne, the heavenly court, zoological and humanoid, singing eternal praise. A slaughtered lamb receives a sealed book, opens it, and great terrors strike not only the earth with its fish, animals, and humans, good and evil alike, but also the solar system, the planets, and the stars. Seven-headed beasts emerge, who demand the worship that is due only to the Lord God Almighty. Those who resist are beheaded. Their death is called their conquering. A beautifully seductive whore rides one of the beasts, but she is destroyed, as are the beasts and Satan who empower them. The world is redeemed. The heavenly city, New Jerusalem, descends to earth. All God's people celebrate the ultimate happy end. There's the sermon. We can end in prayer. Let's take communion. Yep. There it is. See you next week. <laughs> um, so question for you guys, and you could just shout it out. When you hear that summary or whenever anybody's talking about revelation, what emotions come to mind? Gut flinch. And just be honest, shout them out. Excited? Confusion. confusion. Fear. Any other ones? Excitement, confusion, fear. Shock. Shock. Yep. Totally, yeah. So confusion, fear, we're gonna talk about like just, do we think that that was what John intended for us to react as we start off, you know, our first gut flinch reaction? So that's similar to what everybody said at the nine. Yeah. Um, what about you? What was your first reaction yeah. when you encountered Revelation for the first time? Yep, I told you guys, I've told some of you guys before that my mom had this, uh, she had this thing where if we wanted to get our driver's license, we had to read the entire Bible by the time we were 16. Yo, that's and no joke. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, th didn't think she was serious. Did you so make I, your other brothers or that was just you? No, she made them all okay. do it. Yep, it was like a thing. Uh, but it started with me, so I didn't think she was serious, so I didn't read any of the Bible until three months before I got my driver's license, and I was like, I can't wait to get my driver's license. And she's like, I can't wait for you to tell me how the entire Bible is. <laughs> and so for three months, uh, every day I came home after school and like for two, three hours, I just as fast as I could blitz through the Bible. Um, and it, you know, it was, it was actually a cool way of reading the Bible. I didn't know it then. Um, yeah. But my first reaction was one, I was reading through all the New Testament letters and I'm like falling asleep every day. And then I get to Revelation. And you woke up. And I woke up. Yeah. I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so I was obviously shocked, confused, but I was really puzzled because if you read the Bible fast, then you have to reconcile. I just read a few days ago the stories of Jesus who was so loving and sacrificial that he died for the sins of the world. Hmm. But now I have this book and it looks like at face value that God at the end of the world just takes off his gloves and just starts beating everybody. You and got I, an image, right? Oh yeah, yeah, so this was like the, first, the image that came to mind when I read Revelation um, and I just got like, if you ever search for AI art, for oh, Revelation. I thought this was Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Uh, no, this is church, probably we can't do could, that. It probably could be either. So this so is AI, huh? This, yeah, this is literally an AI image of some depictions of the book of Revelation, and that's exactly what came to mind. It was fantastical, and, it, and I was like confused and a bit terrified too. Hmm. So that was like my first reading of Revelation. What about, what about you? Yeah, for, for me, I went to Christian school for junior high. Um, it was eighth grade. 
And this was in the 90s, and so like Christian movies were really like low budget in the 90s, in the 90s. Now they're not like that. Yeah, now they're not. No. Um, but in the 90s, there was like Christian movies were low budget, and then there was like low budget Christian movies. <laughs> and A in my eighth, yeah, no in my eighth yep. grade Bible class, um, we watched a wild, low-budget Christian movie. It might have been a home video. I don't know. It was that bad. Uh, I'm getting I, from you. It's low-budget. Yeah, it was okay. bad. Yeah. And I don't know how they showed it without parental consent because it was, it was traumatizing. I still have the images of this movie, and it was like, this is Revelation. And the movie had dragons and monsters, and people were just disappearing. And all of a sudden, there were fires and explosions, and everybody's raiding the grocery stores to get food. Yet, this is a much higher quality than the movie that I watched. Um, so it's like The Purge. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's like a, a modern-day version of The Purge. Yeah. And it scared me. And I went home, and I had nightmares, and I was scared. I was talking to my parents, and it was horrifying. Um, my first like encounter with Revelation. I was just so scared that I remember after this movie being told by my Bible teacher, this is what's gonna happen with Revelation. It's like, Jesus, whatever you do, leave us alone. Like, don't come back. Please don't come back. Because whatever I just watched, I don't want to happen. Yeah, so I think that is like so great in that like for some of us, our reaction is either confusion or fear. But either way, uh, John, did John intend it to do that to us? Because the book ends with John saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Like, you should end the book and you should be like, yes, I want Jesus to come back. Yeah. But so many of us read it and we're afraid, confused, puzzled, totally. or we just avoid it altogether because we know it might end up being like that. Yeah. Um, so if that's not, like, there's a miss there. Can you talk yeah. about, like, like, where's the confusion coming from? Yeah, why is Revelation so confusing, right? Many of you guys said it last service as well. Jake and I were confused by it. And the reason why Revelation is so confusing is because the type of book that it is. And honestly, a lot of us, we don't know what type of book it is. But the thing that makes it so confusing is the type of book that it is. If you think about, if you think about this, um, if you go to the Pound or Humane Society, Humane Society like adopt a, a dog, right? Um, there's mutts, right? and you don't really know what a mutt is. Revelation is like a mutt. And when, you're, when you go to the pound and you see all these mutts, you know it's a dog, but you don't know what kind of dog it is, and so therefore you don't know what to expect. Like, does it shed, does it like water, how big is it gonna be? Um, <laughs> you don't know whether to be scared or not, right? Because you don't know what it is. And that is Revelation, it's a mutt. We know that it's in the Bible, so it, it's scripture. So it's a dog. We know it's a dog. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not a dog, but like in the metaphor, sorry. Yes, yes, in the <laughs> metaphor. You're confusing me, Jake, come on. Um, Revelation is like a mutt in the fact that we know it's scripture, you know that it's in the Bible, but you don't know what kind of book it is, therefore you don't know what to expect, you don't know what to do with it. You don't know whether to be scared of it or not. And Revelation is like a mutt for this reason. It is three genres of literature in one. And so it's like a mixed breed, right? And it is apocalyptic, it's prophecy, and it is a circular letter. Or what many biblical scholars will say, Revelation is an apocalyptic prophecy in the form of a circular letter. And so it's not just... 
Uh, two, which you could say, well, now it's a, whatever, a golden like doodle a golden or something. Doodle. And you know what a golden yeah. doodle is, yeah. right? Um, but it's a mutt. And when we know, though, that there are three different types of genre involved in this one book, all of a sudden it gives you some confidence and comfortability to be able to enter in and read Revelation. Okay, so it's apocalypse, prophecy, letter. Yes. Um, talk about apocalypse, because yep. that, that first one that I hear, uh, young Jake hears that and would have had the same reaction that you would have had, which was apocalypse sounds like the end of the world, terrifying, everything's on fire. So just yeah. walk us through that. Yeah, so Apocalypse is uh, obviously a genre of literature, but this was a very common ancient type of writing. Um, in Judaism, right before the time of Christ and right after the time of Christ. So for a couple centuries before Jesus and after Jesus in Judaism, apocalyptic literature was very common. Something that is important to know about apocalyptic literature is that it is filled with visions, symbols, and imagery. This was very common. And we don't just see this in Revelation, but there's also other places in the Bible. In Daniel, chapters 7 through 12, it's apocalyptic literature. In places outside of the Bible, in Jewish literature, like in First Enoch, it's apocalyptic literature. In other Christian literature that is not in the canon of Scripture, um, the Apocalypse of Peter, the Shepherd of Hermas, these are examples of this very common form of literature during these few centuries. Okay, so it's common for them back then is other forms of genre, but where are you getting that from in Revelation? Because I don't see it's the great. word apocalypse in there. It's great. Um, so verse one, chapter one, verse one, says the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word that's translated revelation in the original language in Greek is apocalypsis. And that means revelation. And so this is the revelation to John. It's the title of the book, Apocalypsis, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. And so right in verse one, the title of the book, it's cueing us into, it is this type of literature. And here's why this is really important to know. Apocalyptic literature is not meant to be read literally. Okay, so... This is something that I heard, and I bet you, maybe you've heard this too growing up, but it, the idea that taking the Bible literally yeah. was this badge of faithfulness. Totally. So you're saying it's not supposed to be taken literally. Are we just getting like, Revelation's hard, so we're gonna start getting a little bit more like loosey-goosey with how we interpret it? Yeah, are we, liber like, are are we, we being liberal with yeah, exactly. interpreting like, the like, Bible? Like, isn't yeah. just reading it literally the best way? Like, talk about that. Yeah. So this is where understanding the genre of literature is so important because certain types of genre are not meant to be read literally, like poetry. Hmm. Poetry is not meant to be read literally. Some of the Psalms are actually like highly problematic if you do read them literally. Um, and apocalyptic genre is meant to the same. It's not meant to be read literally. And here's the thing, we hear that and it's strange for us, but we have to try to transport ourselves to the original audience that were receiving this book, this letter. And for the original audience, they would have never understood or even tried to understand this book literally. Hmm. Um, and that's because they were very familiar with apocalyptic literature. Some of the things that appear in Revelation permeated other apocalyptic literature. So things like strange symbolic imagery, very common. It appeals to imagination. Visions, creatures, beasts, animals, colors, numbers, all of that that you see in Revelation that's confusing, 
This was very common in apocalyptic literature. And so for us, we read this and we're like, man, the, you know, you get the images like yours, the dragon, and you're just like, what is this? This seems uh, random, seems weird, but to the original audience, this was not random at all. Because these images and these symbols, they come from the Old Testament prophets. They come from Jewish apocalyptic literature. And then this is the really important one to know today, but also as we get further into Revelation in the coming months, is a lot of this is from Roman pop culture. Hmm. And so the original audience would have been triggered and automatically knew this is talking about something very, very common in Roman pop culture, the same if something in American pop culture today. So it was something that was really familiar with, like they would have been familiar with it even though we're not necessarily very familiar with apocalyptic. So how does that help us read Revelation today, like for us? Yeah, I think the helpful thing is that if we neglect this form of literature and we don't pay attention to apocalyptic literature, we won't let symbols be symbols and we will try to make them literal. And that's where it starts to get really confusing. Once again, the original audience would have never done that. They let the symbols be symbols. They were very comfortable with it. And that's what we need to do as well. I think the important thing to know about apocalyptic literature is it wasn't just a couple writings. This formed actually an entire perspective or a way of viewing the world called an apocalyptic perspective. And this genre of literature actually emerged out of times of crisis and hardship It was addressed to people who were oppressed, living under the oppression of the powers of the empire. And what an apocalyptic perspective was meant to do, it was meant to help sustain the people of God as they were powerless in the empire. The genre ultimately would paint a picture of a cosmic battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, with God ultimately triumphing in the end, defeating evil. And so this gave the people of God endurance during times of oppression. Okay, so it functioned as a way of, like you said, giving them endurance in the midst of this time of persecution or idolatry and compromise. So that's apocalyptic. Yep. And that one, yeah, it's in the first verse there. So then the next one you said was prophecy. And you guys can look with me in verse three for that one. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this Prophecy. So prophecy uh, is the next genre that Revelation also is. And in the Bible, prophecy has less to do with future telling and far more to do with right now telling. So Hmm. meaning God is speaking truth to a present situation for his people, right? Hmm. Even if he's talking about what might happen in the future, it is he's speaking directly, prophetically, that's what we mean, to God's people at that time uh, to equip them to be faithful to his calling. And so, yeah, that's what prophecy is. So let, let me just clarify. I, I have always thought prophecy is about predicting the future. Yeah. Oftentimes I hear prophecy, it's like end times, future prediction. Yeah. So you, it sounds like you're saying something different. And yeah. so are there examples from the Bible where prophecy isn't predicting the future. Yeah, I mean, in the Old Testament, it's primarily that. And this is really helpful when we get into Revelation. So I'll just give you guys an example. So, um, you know, you guys have been reading, I'm sure all the minor prophets a ton lately, right? Um, So think about when we jump into the next couple of weeks, the first image we're gonna introduce to in Revelation is the image of seven lampstands. 
Okay, so go all the way back to the book of Zechariah, and what's happening is that the people of God are back from exile. They're rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the wall. This is out of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, right? But there's a prophet that speaks then, and how he speaks is that God gives him these dreams and these visions, and then Zechariah the prophet goes, what does this mean? Because they were bizarre to him too back then. And so one of them, famously, is this vision where Zachariah sees these seven lampstands, and then he naturally asks the angel that shows it to them, what does this even mean? Mm -hmm. And God tells him what it means through the angel. He tells him, actually, a very famous part of scripture. The angel says to him, not by might, nor by power, but by the spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So Zechariah and the people then who are under all this pressure, antagonizing as they're trying to rebuild, they're like, how's this gonna happen? He gets this vision of these seven lampstands and then it is interpreted for him that this whole series of visions is to show them God is gonna do it by mm. his power. Mm. Now think about this. If you are the first church who got the book of Revelation and most of you either are Jewish or have been rubbing shoulders with other fellow brother, Jewish brothers and sisters, and you read the Old Testament prophets regularly, and you hear seven lampstands in the book of Revelation, what do you immediately think? Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And so God is speaking to John and the churches. However, he's using all this like blend and mashup of all these Old Testament visions that already were loaded with all of this different meaning, but it was speaking to the people then to yeah. empower them and remind them and encourage them and convict them, not a code for the future necessarily. Very different than when we hear seven lampstands, we think about HGTV, you know? <laughs> it's like a very different way that they would have heard it. Yeah. So, hey, if that's... Zechariah, yeah. um, what about John and the message of Revelation as prophecy? Yeah, so the other way that prophecy functions is prophecy functions to enable the church to live in accordance with God's calling. Hmm. So what has already been said has already been said. God's already you know, proclaimed it, but Revelation functions as a prophecy in that it's a word for God's people to encourage them to walk faithfully in light of what God has already done. Hmm. Uh, so it equips them. It equips them for patient endurance and faithful witness in the midst of an idolatrous world because that's what was happening yeah. rampantly in the first century. Dude, that's helpful. Yeah. Um, so we said Revelation is like a mutt. It's like a mutt. We got yep. apocalypse, prophecy yep. so far. Yep, because um, it's not like a golden doodle. It's not like a golden not doodle. Not designer mix. This is, yep, this is a mutt. Like and a so street mutt. We got to have a third genre. Yep, um, got to have three. Circular letter. So go to uh, verse four, um, beginning of verse four. We see that this is a circular letter. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Revelation is written to seven churches that are in Asia. And it is really important that we understand that this is a letter that was circulated among these churches. We need to take this serious that it's a letter because this is a real letter that we get to read, but it was a real letter written to seven real churches facing real life issues in their context. And that is what it was addressed for in the same way that we just finished preaching through 1 John. It was a letter written to the early church. 
addressing certain things that hmm. John was addressing to those churches. And so yeah. this is written to local worshiping communities, local churches. Each one of them is, is facing a different specific contextual issue. And then the prophetic message that Jake just talked about, the prophetic message of John is now tailored to each one of these churches, calling them to faithfulness. Yeah. And so if we understand that it's a letter, hmm. um, how does that help us understand it today? Yeah, well, you're saying in the morning service that it's like reading Revelation is like reading somebody else's mail. Yeah, which it's is like not someone else's mail. Yeah, so it, which is if you read somebody else's mail, it's not irrelevant if you have relationship with that person. But you need to understand who it was written to, right? So, Revelation as a book originally was not written to us, mm -hmm. but it is written for us. Yeah, does that make sense? Like you have to understand that it was written to a real seven churches, and that if you can get in their mind for a second then you can appropriately understand what it might say to us as a church mm. 2,000 years later because think about it. Even though that it's written to seven churches, right, which we'll see in the next couple of chapters, yeah. it's not seven different letters. Why would John do that? Because he wants all of them to hear what he's saying to all of them, mm. that there's significance for each and every one of them to hear, yeah. and he sees the church as this united across all different cities and places together and they need to hear it together. And here's, here's why. All churches face the same ido cultural idolatry dangers that the first century church did. Hmm. All churches are part of a cosmic battle between God and Satan. All churches, whether it's back then or present, wherever they are in the world, all churches need to be reminded that Jesus is the victorious one who rules over human history from his throne. Hmm. All the churches need that. And so some of even the dangers that the first church is facing are relevant to our situation, but we still gotta understand it was a letter to them first before we could just jump into what it's saying for yeah. us. So yeah, it's, it's a circular letter. And if that's the case, we've talked about this help Help us understand what would be the most important question to ask when we're reading the book of Revelation. Yeah, so understanding the genres that are at play, but then the most important question to ask when you are reading Revelation and for us to ask as a church is, what is Revelation trying to do? Hmm. What is Revelation trying to do? That is a different question than what does Revelation say? Um, that's not a bad question. But oftentimes, if you're just saying, hey, what does Revelation say? And then you're trying to say, well, what, is, what does it mean? That's where you start to get into numerology and all kinds of weird stuff that's confusing. But the question is, what is Revelation trying to do? And if there's anything that you take away from today's sermon, it's what we're about to say. It's gonna come up on the screen. This is what Revelation's trying to do. The primary goal of Revelation is not trying to predict the future but it is to make God's people faithful by inspiring our allegiance to Jesus as we bear witness to him in the midst of rampant idolatry. This is not just something that Jake and I came up with and wrote. The leading scholars, biblical scholars, Revelation scholars all agree on this, so much so that one of uh, the scholars that Jake and I have sat under who's mentored us and uh, has taught us a lot, his name's Mike Goheen, uh, this is what Mike Goheen says is the purpose of Revelation. He says, this is what it's trying to do. Revelation is trying to rouse and liberate the church 
from being intoxicated and enchanted by the magic spell of Roman economic, political, and cultural idolatry for faithful witness to the truth of God's kingdom. Hmm. So, yeah, I think it's worth just even as I was hearing you, something to like add in and say is Revelation will talk about future stuff. Yeah. But we need to have the understanding of what it's trying to do helps us a lot more. And let me give you guys an example as we get into the seven churches in the first couple of chapters. There's a famous one that maybe some of you know. It's the Church of Laodicea. Lukewarm. Yeah, it's the lukewarm passage where Jesus says, you are neither hot, you're neither cold, so I spit you out of my mouth. Well, if you read through that passage, you will see that the main problem that the Laodicean church specifically was facing was that they were rich and comfortable Mm. as a church. And they were wealthy because of uh, basically co-opting the vision of Rome and kind of like syncretizing into the Roman vision for life. And so if you ask the question, what is Revelation trying to do? You begin to see that it's to get the church in Laodicea to understand that the future vision of the Roman Empire is destruction. Hmm. Yeah. And why it's saying that is because what it's trying to do is get them to repent And it's trying to get them to change their heart so that they are not just sucked into this vision of comfort and wealth. Mm. And so it would be the equivalent of like today, if we as a church, Redemption Tempe, were just culturally obsessed with the stock market. And because of that, everybody within our church was highly invested, both Mm. financially and mentally, with what was going on on Wall Street. Like as I'm preaching, everyone's like checking the stocks. And that was just something that we all did. And everybody really spent Mm. more time thinking about their portfolio than they were caring for the poor. We weren't generous. We barely prayed. But we were Christian, and we all cared about the stock market then the the vision of Laodicea would be kind of like, uh, it would be like God sending us a letter. And within that letter, it described in graphic vision, Wall Street on fire and burning down. Hmm. And God saying, this is the future. Yeah. What would that do? It's not so important, like, what is this? Like, yeah. what it's saying is important, right? But you yeah. gotta get to understand, what is it trying to do? It would be trying to get the church to wake up yeah. You're investing everything in something that won't last. And so that's what the visions of the fall of Babylon do to Laodicea. Mm-hmm. So what is it trying to do? Again, the primary goal of Revelation is not trying to predict the future, but it's to make God's people faithful by inspiring our allegiance to Jesus as we bear witness to him in the midst of rampant idolatry in our world. So John, can you talk about how Revelation does that? Yeah, how how is it trying to do this? Revelation's trying to liberate the church from idolatry and make us faithful by rescuing and renewing our imaginations with the symbolic imagery. It is impossible to read Revelation without our imaginations being awakened, Hmm. right? It's why we get scared and all these crazy images. We don't understand it, but our imaginations start running, Hmm. right? And when we talk about imagination and renewing our imagination, what Revelation, like how it's trying to do this, we're not saying imagination in a fantasy sense. Imagination is seeing the world with God's eyes, Hmm. seeing the world the way that God sees it. It's a new way of seeing reality. I've heard it said kind of like a bird's eye view. Revelation gives us a God's eye view of reality. And so it helps us 
see the way that God sees. Hmm. And revelation is trying to usurp the broken imaginations of God's people in order to bring about renewal. Hmm. But that also is confusing, right? Well, why doesn't John just say it literally, right? Why has he got to do all this imagination judo stuff that we got to figure out apocalypse? And why can't he just say it literally? Jay, yeah. why, why doesn't John just say it? Yeah, I think if you are imagining John, he's taking a play from Jesus's book. Yeah. Why did Jesus say so many parables? Yeah. Because what do visions and parables and, and this type of language, what does that do to you? it forces you to wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. You can't just quickly be like, well, this is what it means. You like, yeah. It sucks you in. You have to actually begin to imagine what it means and wrestle with it. So for example, every scholar uh, believes that the images of Babylon that we find later in the book of Revelation are symbolic of Rome for the first century church. Yeah. So why not just say ancient Rome? Like, why even use the language of Babylon? Is he just trying to code it and confuse people? It's because now this image of Babylon stands for more than just literally first century Rome, and it forces us to wrestle with different questions. If Rome was back then, and it can still exist in some way in this Babylon-type caricature, now we have to ask the questions of ourselves, how am I being seduced by the great prostitute of Babylon? How am I getting sucked into the political and economic cults of our culture today? So Eugene Peterson talks about Revelation, and he he says it like this, and I'll put up a quote on the board. It says, I do not read Revelation to get additional info about the life of faith in Christ. The Revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of the gospel is already complete and revealed in Jesus Christ. There's nothing new to say on the subject, but there is a new way to say it. Hear this. I read Revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. That is why these images and these pictures are used. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is, this is really important for us to understand Because in America, there is a battle for your imagination. Hmm. There's a battle for your imagination, and your imagination has been shaped by our American culture and society. And it's not just your imagination has been shaped by it, but your imagination then shapes how you live, shapes how you act, how you think, what you say, what you believe, your desires, all of that. And there's a battle for your imagination in America. Hmm. You you think about this, marketing in our country, marketing and advertising, what is it after? It's after your imagination. It appeals to your imagination because as you see company after company, advertisement after advertisement, image after image on social media, all of a sudden, your imagination starts spinning. My life would look different if. My life would be somehow better if. Because it's appealing to your imagination. It starts to get your imagination thinking about whatever the image was, whatever the advertisement was, about how your life would somehow be better and different if you 
fill in the blank with whatever the marketing is. Mm. Yeah, the one that I think about too, as we've been talking and praying is, think about entertainment in our culture. It's like one of the biggest exports that America has is entertainment. And Mm. what is entertainment if not you exchange the ability of entertainment to shape your imagination in exchange for comfort and pleasure. But what happens if that, you know, that entertainment is not through the lens of the kingdom of God? Well, then, I mean, think about what we assume within our culture about sex, what we assume about violence, what we assume about marriage, what we assume will make us happy. Uh, But all of these messages that we assume do not come to us through like a bullet point list of this is what Americans believe. But instead, it's just through stories being told over and over and mm. over again to where we all just accept, no, that's just how things are. Yeah. But it's done through entertainment, which is a great example of shaping of the imagination. Yeah. And the message that John writes to the churches is so relevant to us today because, church, you need your imaginations reshaped and renewed. Mm. And here's why because your imaginations have been hijacked by sin and idolatry. Your imaginations have been distorted by sin and idolatry, and you need the risen Jesus through the power of his spirit to renew and reshape your imaginations for the sake of his kingdom. And this is the tactic that God uses. God uses the imagination because he knows the power of it. He's the creator of the imagination. God knows the power of the imagination. And so his, atta- his tactic is to go after the imagination hmm. because he wants to renew the thing that has subtly been hijacked by the world and by the enemy. Hmm. Jesus wants to renew what the enemy has distorted. He wants to reclaim the territory of your imagination for the sake of his kingdom. But what might this look like today? Hmm. As Jake and I sit up here as two of your pastors, there's a lot of things we could say, but here are some of the ways that we see imaginations being hijacked. Greed and overconsumption. The needing more, the dreaming for more or dreaming for different. The imagining what life could be more and more and more, buying more, more comfort, the life of ease, no matter the cost. It turns us inward on ourselves and our imaginations now turn inward and we become selfish and we hoard instead of being selfless and living lives of sacrificial service for the sake of the other. Yeah. Or politics is another one that I see a ton in Revelation that speaks to us today. You have leaders, parties, sides that all present themselves in this idolatrous vision as the one that can fix the world when only God's mm. kingdom can. Yeah. But then what we see so sadly as this seeps into the church is what creates probably some of the most division that I've seen over the last like 10 years through the church is po- politics. Yeah. And what's so sad about that is it divides the body even though it's so clear, especially in Revelation, that Christ Jesus died to Mm. unite the body into this one family for the future of the world. Like we need to hear that we need our our minds reshaped in the political imagination. Yeah. And also 
um, living in a pornified society, sex and pornography and the rampant pervasiveness of porn in our world and in our society that leads mm. to lust and all porn does is hijack your imagination. Yeah. And because we live in this sexualized society now, imaginations lead to fantasizing and then these fantasies lead to trying make, making these things reality and this perpetuates sexual brokenness time and time and time again and we need the risen Jesus to renew and reshape our imaginations. Let me ask you guys a question that I want you to think about and pray about as we start going through Revelation. Where do you need your imagination reshaped by Jesus? Hmm. Where do you need the risen Jesus to reshape your imagination? So, yeah, yeah. you want to tell us about what yeah. we're inviting people to? Yeah, and I, I would just say with that question, I love that question, and I would say write that question down, hmm. remember it, pray through it, journal, not just from the sermon today. Yeah. Over the next several months as we're in Revelation. That's good. Where do you need the risen Jesus to reshape your imagination? And listen to the Spirit speak, um, because we all do in some way. And so as, as we embark on the next several months, uh, we're going to be in Revelation for a while, and we are excited, uh, really excited to uh, tackle the book head on. Um, we have an invitation for you guys hmm. uh, as your pastors, and it's a pastoral plea for you to commit to two things. They'll be on the screen. And so as we embark on Revelation, please, please, please commit to unity. Do not break fellowship over end times and your interpretation of Revelation. Please do not be hostile. Please do not split the body of Christ over how you interpret the end times, big word, eschatology. It is an open-handed issue. Even our pastors on our staff, we lean differently on things. Hear me, throughout church history and tradition, there are different interpretations. This is an open-handed issue. Please do not attack your brothers and sisters. Divide your RC. Try to tackle Jake and I after the sermon, anything like that. You can tackle um, Yeah, you can tackle Jake, but you'll hurt me. So um, I'm fragile. Uh, but please, commit to unity. And I say that because if you are using Revelation to somehow divide the body of Christ, you're reading it wrong. Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus Christ who has created a new human family called the church. And we will reign with him in the new heavens and new earth. We will be with Jesus united as the bride of Christ. And so Revelation is not meant to destroy or divide the body of Christ because Jesus is actually trying to unite us in the new heavens and new earth. Amen. Okay? The second commitment, please, commit to the wrestle. Commit to wrestling through Revelation. And here's what I mean by that. You cannot faithfully read Revelation in one time quickly, just skimming through it or yeah. doing a quick read. This is a book that takes immersion, reading it, deeply, prayerfully meditating on it, reading it, reading it, reading it, reading it. And here's the thing, you're gonna be confused. And that's okay. It is the most confusing book of the Bible. Don't let your confusion lead you to close it and drive you away from Jesus. Let your confusion make you 
dive deeper into Jesus and relying on him in prayer. Amen. And rely on community. Come to your community and say, hey, let's talk about this. I'm confused. Well, maybe we can wrestle together as brothers and sisters prayerfully to hear what the Spirit of God wants to say to our church, Redemption Tempe, in the 21st century. Yeah. Here's why these two commandments are really important. And I'll end our time with this. Revelation as a book is first and foremost about God. It's first and foremost the revelation of Jesus Christ, Hmm. amen? And because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, it is about a lamb who was slain to unite a people to himself and to one another. It is the hope of resurrection for the people of God, and therefore, as we read it, it should unite us, not divide us. Hmm. And it's the words of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus speaks, we listen, and we are willing to enter in and wrestle with it. But no matter where you land, at the end of this journey, as we wrestle through Revelation and, and what you think about the end of all things, no matter where you land, where we land, here's what we all know and believe. Jesus is coming back. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ, which you gave your servant John, and you are giving to us today in 2023, and we ask for ears to be able to hear it, a mind to be able to wrestle with it, eyes to see it, and that you would, yeah, I mean, my big prayer, Jesus, is that you would use this season as we go through this to unite us as a body like we have never been before, and even as I've been praying this morning, Jesus, you know, my prayer is this, that we would all have a hunger for your presence, Hmm. a longing for your return, and that we would gain a posture out of revelation to live as if it is the end times in in a really beautiful way, expecting on your return, Jesus. So with that, we love you. We thank you for your time and your word. Amen. Amen.